Well, guys, this morning we are going to be um, embarking on a sermon series through the book of Colossians. And um, I first developed kind of an interest in Colossians and decided I wanted to do a sermon series through it when, I, you might remember a couple years ago, we taught through the book of Philemon. Um, maybe you don't remember, and that's also okay, but uh, the, the letter to Philemon and the letter to Colossians arrived at the same time. And there's so many overlaps that when I was preparing for my Sunday mornings in Philemon, the commentators and stuff kept saying, go look at this in Colossians. And just over the course of that time, I just put a, put a mark in my notes that just said, man, I want to teach through Colossians at some point, and that time is now. We're going to do it. <laughs> and you know what's interesting? I said this in the midweek email, but Colossians is the only one of Paul's letters that he wrote to, to a small town. If you think about it, Rome, Corinth, Thessalonica, Philippi, Galatians is an outlier, too, because it wasn't written to one municipality. It was written to a whole region. But Colossians was like, if in our Bibles there was a letter to Ashland or something like that, it just kind of would be, wow, that's kind of interesting. Mixed in there with letters to Washington, D.C. and all this other stuff, there's this letter to Colossae, which is a smaller sort of a community, an in-between sort of place. And uh, so I'm excited. Not, there's really no big point to attach to that. It's just I like to ramble on from up here. You guys like that too, right? You guys are like, man, I'm glad that guy's back who just talks endlessly. Old filibuster. No, here we are. <laughs> but this morning, we're going to start at the beginning of Colossians, obviously, okay? Verses 1 through 14. Uh, following the letter's introduction, and usually Paul's letters have this pretty standard introduction, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So after that introduction, which we could spend a lot of time on as well, but we're not going to, Paul then launches into the body of the letter, and this is where I kind of want to spend our time this morning. And then we're going to be reading verses 3 through 14 uh, to focus on this morning. I'm reading in the ESV. You can follow along with me in your Bibles. Beginning at verse 3, we always thank God the Father our, of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven... Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, it, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit." And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And we'll stop there. Guys, here's the main thing that I think we should take away from this opening portion of Paul's letter to the Colossian church. And that's the relationship that Paul lays out here between growing in the knowledge of the truth and living a life that's worthy of Jesus. In verses 3 through 8, Paul will tell the Colossian Christians what he celebrates and gives thanks for when he remembers the Colossian church before the Lord. And do you know what that is? Basically, what he says that he celebrates and gives thanks for is that they heard the word of truth, the gospel, and they understood it, and that it was bearing fruit and increasing in their lives just as it was throughout the entire world. Knowledge leads to transformation. There is a clear three-step progression laid out for us in these verses. Paul, first, Paul speaks about the fact that the Colossian Christians had heard the word of truth with their ears. In verse 5, he says, you have heard. But then in verse 6, Paul combines this first step of merely hearing with the next step in the progression, which is understanding the meaning or significance of what they had heard. He writes, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. At some point, the light bulb went on and they grasped with their hearts the excellence and necessity of what they had heard with their ears. Then comes the third step in this progression. They heard, they understood, and now they respond. And the the response finds expression in a transformed life. In verses 4 and 5, Paul draws special attention to their faith, hope, and love. Paul repeatedly visits this triad of attributes throughout his letters. He talks a lot about faith, hope, and love, and he pairs these things up quite often uh, in his various letters, sometimes quite famously. So he points us to these three attributes, that the way that they live the law of love among themselves the deepening faith that he sees there and how they cling with hope to the promises of God, he sees these things all as evidence that they had heard and understood the word of truth correctly. Then in verses 9 through 14, Paul shares with the Colossian believers not what he gives thanks for about what has happened among them, but what he is praying for them going forward. And pay close attention to how he will repeat the same three-step process of hearing, understanding, and responding in his prayer. This is what he prays, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So he starts with, you'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That's the beginning. That's the entry point. That, some, that through your time in God's word or study, that you would come to an awareness of what his will was. But then he also prays that this would be received in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, you would grasp what you receive as true the meaning and significance of it all, and then that these things are imparted to you so that 
you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. That's the response of somebody who has heard and understood and is now responding with the way that they're living. And then, interestingly, He comes back to this idea of knowledge and increasing in the knowledge of God is how He wraps that portion up. I think one of the things we should all take away from this is that knowledge of God's will is not gained for its own sake. I've said it many times here at State Road, we are not a book club. (laughs) A book club is where you kind of sit around and you discuss your favorite book. And our favorite book is the Bible. We love the Bible. And every week we get together in our big family meeting here at good old State Road, and we bring out our favorite book, the Bible, and we talk about it. But if we are only collectors of ideas, if all we do is we just consume new and novel concepts about God, that is not what Paul celebrated was happening in the Colossian church, and it's not what he prayed for them. He prayed that they would hear it, that they'd understand it, and that they would then live it. And that's what we see here in this, in this prayer. God grants the knowledge of His will through His Word to believers so that it will transform them and find, spre- and find expression in how they actually live. No revelation from God has accomplished its purpose when a person has simply grasped its meaning intellectually, But when it bears fruit in changed ways of living and thinking and speaking and living in relationship with others, it's when it bears fruit in a transformed life that its purpose has been accomplished. It's what we do with what we know that matters. And it's not that knowing rightly doesn't matter, but it is that it only matters insofar as it informs how we actually live. You can know the doctrine and give mental assent to the truth that God is everywhere. But you don't care that God is looking on when you commit some sin in private. (laughs) I think one uh, one of the great moments in Christian life that demonstrates maturity is when you say no to temptation when no one else is there to give you an attaboy or to punish you if you sin openly. (laughs) I'm always very impressed with people who have said no to sin in the darkness because God was watching, because they desire to live a life that's pleasing to God. And there was no people there to impress or unimpress. So yeah, I think we can know the doctrine that God is everywhere, that He's all-knowing, You can even give mental assent to that and believe that it's true. However, it has achieved its purpose when His omnipresence, His omniscience finds expression in how we live. And I think that's a different sort of place. And what Paul is praying for them is that the Colossian Christians would know the truth. They'd understand it. And that it would find a fitting response in the way that they live. So it's what we do with what we know that matters. John, in John 13, 17, Jesus said, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. 
In James 4.17, we read, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, I do think there are a few things for us to take away from these observations. Uh, I think the first is simply this. This process of hearing, understanding, and responding to the word of truth, the gospel, is not just something that happens at the beginning of our walk with Jesus. You know, when Paul begins his letter to the Colossians, he starts by praising God for the work he had done through this servant Epaphras. Epaphras had come among them. I don't know if he came to them as a missionary or he was from there. I don't actually know any of that. But Epaphras at some point started speaking the truth, the gospel, to the Colossians, the people of this town. And they heard it with their ears. God granted them understanding in their hearts. And it has flourished into this wonderful response that Paul has heard about. And that's what he's thanking them for. But what Paul is saying in this prayer is that's not just something that happens that we talk about in the past tense. This is something that continuously happens again and again and again in the life of a believer. And so, yeah, it, it, it has played out in the past, and it is visibly, obviously playing out in the present in the Colossian church, and he prays that it will continue to play out more and more among them in the future. Receiving the word, grasping its meaning, and growing as someone who lives the truth of that word is something that happens again and again in the life of a believer. And so one of the things I think we should pause and consider is what sort of access you're giving the word of truth to your life today. I think that here, the way that Paul is describing the knowledge of God's will, his word, the truth, is roughly synonymous or analogous, I guess I should say, to eating, to food. Eating is not something we talk about just in the past tense. I did not eat once and now I'm good. <laughs> but no, we eat continuously or we suffer for not eating. Or we eat really crummy stuff. And I just came back from vacation. Let me tell you about eating a diet based on ice cream. It's not a good idea. No, we need to eat good stuff in order to flourish physically. And Paul is here saying we need to keep playing this process out, receiving the word, wrestling its meaning and significance down, and then responding with how we live to what we've come to understand. And in the Bible, God often compares his word, the Bible, to food. He does it a surprising amount. Psalm 119 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Jeremiah 3, Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. 1 Peter 2, Long for the pure milk of the word so that by it we may grow in respect to salvation. And Hebrews 5 says that just as a baby graduates from breast milk to solid food, so too should a believer graduate from the basic elementary truths of the gospel 
to a deeper exploration of how those things should be lived, lived out. When Jesus was being tempted by Satan, he quoted Deuteronomy 8.3, saying, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Just as our physical bodies require good, nutritious food to function in an optimal way, so too does the church, the body of Christ, needs God's word in order for there to be function and power and growth. This is why Paul prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, and then after walking us through the, the steps that follow, that they would understand it, and that they would respond appropriately, that he comes right back to increasing in the knowledge of God. Picture Paul here like an Italian grandmother, eat, eat, <laughs> you need to eat, you're wasting away, just keep eating. You see, we never, ever graduate from this pattern, guys. And if you have removed yourself from it, you're starving. You're starving your spirits. We never graduate from this pattern of receiving, understanding, and responding any more than you graduate from eating food. You have to eat all the time or you die. Uh, these two things are tied directly together, this idea of receiving the word and being transformed. In another prayer, John 17, 17, Jesus was praying to the Father before going to the cross, and he asked this from the Father on behalf of his followers. He prayed, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. In other words, transform them, God, make them different, make them more and more into the image and likeness of their Savior, and do this through your word, the truth. Sanctification, that is transformation, and the word of truth, they go hand in hand. So that's I think, is the main point here this morning. If you leave with nothing else, it's this. There is knowledge that leads to transformation. I want to encourage you to double down on uh, your commitment to being people of the book who get into the Word and meet God there in the midst of it. I do want to spend, and I do promise I'll be brief, just a few minutes on these last verses, though, before we move on. Because here what he's done is he's talked about this uh, knowledge that leads to transformation, but now he's going to in his prayer, point the Colossian Christians to the power, to where the power lies to live a transformed life. Because right now, if, if I terminated the message right now, right here, you would all be left with a very clear charge to go out from here and do something, and that's right, you should. Um, if you are somebody who's a follower of Jesus this morning, and you're not spending time in God's Word, you are a starving, anemic, weak, and vulnerable sort of person in your spirits. And so, yeah, the charge is, man, go and meet God there. Be disciplined about it. And, um, and feed yourself in your spirits. However, um, Paul here brings us now to verse 11. I want us to spend some time here. 
11, 12, and 14. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. First of all, he here points us to the source of power for living a transformed life. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, that being God's, for all endurance and patience with joy. Um, I think there is no worst enemy of all of our good intentions than time. <laughs> I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you go down in my basement over at my house in Washburn, you will see scads of half-finished and abandoned projects. Stuff that at one time, things were purchased, space was prepared, dove in and got working on something, and then somehow over time it just petered out and fizzled and stopped. And, you know, the, the history of our own days under the sun is filled with New Year's resolutions quit and diets that weren't followed through on and exercise programs and gym memberships that were never properly used. <laughs> this stuff happens a lot to us. And so Paul is here praying that they would have endurance and patience for this process, that they wouldn't just quit it and leave, exit stage left. And he says that they need to be strengthened with power according to his glorious might. Please note, Paul does not say to them, his prayer is not that they would be an extraordinarily rare human being who pulls themselves up by their bootstraps and they succeed where others failed. It's not what he says to them. His prayer is that God would supernaturally give them staying power. And strength. The message that they received is not one that they thought up themselves. No. And now the power to live in response to that, he says, will also come from a source external to you. And his prayer is that God, God would miraculously give and provide what they need in terms of strength to see the Christian life through. It's a big difference for Paul to pray that they would be strengthened, not that they would become stronger. You see, one is a call for you to somehow fix yourself, and the other is a calling upon God to come and be God to us, <laughs> and that's what's needed. He also talks not only about the source of power for living a transformed life, but he prays about the right attitude that goes with the transformation. He talks about joy, but I think the weightier word here is thanks. Um, when I came back from my three weeks out of town, my lawn was like a wild jungle of a place, and um, I was starting to despair of being able to tackle it with you know, what I had around the house. It was like, man, that's going to be tough. And then my neighbor 
didn't say a word to me, but just took pity on me, came over and with his zero turn, zip, 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 and it was right down to the ground. Now, if I had gone out and tackled my yard, I could have come in and said, honey, you married well. (laughs) (laughs) I'm tougher than most. I didn't complain. It was good. did a good job. If you do it, you get to brag about it. Paul says here that they would give thanks. Why? Thanks in many ways is the opposite of boasting. What could I brag about in my neighbor coming over and zipping around in a zero turn and mowing my lawn? Nothing. Nothing at all. All I could say was thanks. (laughs) You had pity on me. I didn't even have the wisdom to go to you and say, can you please help me? (laughs) He just did it because he's great. Thanks is the opposite of boasting. And so when we enter into this process, Paul is saying, do it with a thankful spirit. Be filled with thanksgiving to the God who has moved so powerfully to help you and who even now is helping you respond correctly to what you've come to know and understand. Uh, As I grow in my knowledge of who God is, and heaven knows I am not there yet. I'm still far from where I'd like to be. But as I walk with him over the course of years, uh, something that I've come to know about our God is just that I need him. (laughs) I need him. And giving thanks is just very simply an expression that's the opposite of boasting in myself. And so Paul tells them, be thankful. Rest in him, trust him, seek him for the power to live the life that you should live. And then lastly, Paul comes back to where he starts, which is the gospel. He says, give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered you, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I want us to see this. Uh, And and we're going to close with this idea, and then I'll be done. Paul brings it back to the gospel. The gospel is not only the starting point of our walk with the Lord. It then is also our example and our guide to how we live out the gospel in our lives. Everything comes back to this. When I first came to State Road, one of the first sermon series we ever did here together under my time was we went through some of those Christ imitator passages in the Bible where it says, forgive as you and Christ were forgiven, love as Christ loved you, be humble as Christ was humble, these sorts of things. We visited all of those verses, well, maybe not even all of them, but we visited a lot of them. And sought to ask ourselves, well, how did Jesus do that for us? What does that mean for us to live it out here? And Paul, in coming back to the gospel, he is not pointing them back to some past event. He is pointing to them to what is their present guide. The gospel is not only something we talk about in the past tense in terms of its blessings, but it's something that we are striving, imperfectly sure, But it is our goal here at State Road to live this out and make it visible, isn't it? 
And I think that it's very wise for Paul to come back here to this point. When we, again, when we did that study of Philemon, one of the things that really struck me about Philemon is that Paul didn't find it necessary to argue for the gospel in Philemon. He argued in light of the gospel, this ought to be true, that ought to be true. That's how the book of Philemon reads. If you go and read the book of Galatians, Paul is arguing hammer and tongs for the gospel. He is just arguing for the gospel in every page. These people who had once embraced the word of truth had now been tempted away into some other view that, of how to attain to salvation. And Paul, in the letter to the Galatian churches, is just unloading with both barrels, arguing for the gospel, the necessity of it, the excellence of it, the disastrous, ruinous decision to seek salvation apart from it. But here in his letter to the Colossians, Paul is not arguing for the gospel so much as he is arguing for how God's people should live in light of the gospel that they agree on. And so this is why he comes back to the gospel here at the end of this prayer. He begins with it, and he comes back to it. It continues to live out again and again and again as our guide and our example. And so I'm really excited, guys, and I hope we come back. I hope that God's word to the Colossians echoes again into this hall in a way that would shape us more and more as people who are living the gospel in these days and in this place, just as it did all the way back then in that small town on the road between bigger places. So will you guys come back next week? Yeah, you promised. Okay, good. <laughs> Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we just thank you for the way you have challenged us here in your word this morning. In these opening sentences to the church in Colossae. And Father, what we have seen in here is that there is a pattern of hearing your truth of you opening our hearts to see its meaning and significance and then giving us the power to live it. And Father, I'm very struck how Paul described the work of salvation here at the end of this letter. It says that you have delivered us, that you've transferred us, that you've done something for us. Paul never gives thanks for the Colossian Christians delivering themselves or having the wisdom to transfer themselves. Father, we look upon you with gratitude, not boasting. You did something for us that we did not do. Father, you've opened our eyes to see the excellence and the necessity of what we heard God, at some point, somebody did the difficult thing of opening their mouths and sharing with us the truth of the gospel, the way of salvation, that Jesus died on the cross, taking all of our sins there upon himself, and that for all those who have put their trust in him for salvation, their sins have been taken away, put on Jesus as a sacrificial as a sacrifice there on the cross. And that transferred to us is all of his perfect righteousness. 
God, somebody told us that story. But God, in response to that, hearing that story, we somehow, miraculously, we didn't yawn. We didn't dismiss it. But you gave us ears to hear it, eyes to see that it was true. Not only did we see that it was true, but God, we love the truth of it. God, all of that is a gift from you. And what can we do but give thanks? We can't brag. We're not the right sort. We're not better than others. God, you have visited us with grace and mercy. You've given us a gift, and we give you thanks. And God, maybe here in this hall this morning or listening online, there is somebody who does not yet know Jesus as their Savior. And Father, I pray that you would open their hearts, open the eyes of their heart to see, to see the truth of it. God, give them certainty and understanding about the gospel. Father, I pray that you would destroy any false ideas that they have about you or about how a person is saved and that they would come to see what you have said very clearly in your word, that faith is found in Jesus alone and that faith comes from what he did for us, not from what we do. Father, we've heard that. We've understood it. Now, Father, help us to respond with lives that are worthy of Jesus. God, help us take the truths we know and live them. And Father, I pray that you would give to my brothers and sisters, especially if any here have removed themselves from giving access, your word, access to their hearts and minds. God, that you would give them, a, God, make them aware of their great hunger for your word. Draw them into it, Lord, and meet them there in a wonderful way. Father, I pray that you would strengthen them with all power according to your glorious might, that they would have great endurance and patience as they meet you there in your word, and that over time that would bear fruit in their lives, a life worthy of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.